Life's a game, the world's a stage, and we are Merely Roleplayers, where theatrical people play roleplaying games. Uh, welcome back to the Merely Roleplayers replay. I uh, have the pleasure once again of being seated opposite Mr. Matt Boothman. Hello. Hello, Mr. Josh Yard. Uh, we're moving uh, into season three now. Two seasons behind you. Must be feeling confident. Uh-huh. Uh, felt like you were really, really getting into the swing of things? Uh, definitely, like, knowing that it works and starting to find some space to experiment and spread out and see what's possible. Fabulous. Well, we're moving on to what is uh, one of the most ambitious seasons, uh, I would say, for the for the early seasons, mm-hmm. should I add. Season three, A Town Called Amnesty, starring Ellie, Strat, Alex and Helen. A rootin' tootin' highfalutin' tale of friendship, hunting bounties and sinking ships. Uh, An age-old yarn where Strat caves in a man's skull, where Alex leaps off a burning building, where Ellie on horseback drags a woman down the high street, and where Helen is served a delicious platter of cheese. As the thing erupts behind me, I jump off the roof. and <laughs> explosion behind me. Oh, yeah! <laughs> and as I land on him, I shout, I am the law! <laughs> <laughs> Season three. Uh, let's talk about um, the players. Uh, let's talk about Alex first. Uh, his second series with Merely Role Players, having previously fallen through a trapdoor and introduced <laughs> the world to Captain Ironface <laughs> in Ariadne. Another thespian mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of improv experience yeah. and another RPG player. Yeah, I believe started playing at the same time as I did in that game that Starkey started running. His Dragonborn Paladin, I believe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very similar to the character he plays in this one, Alex Lorna. <laughs> yeah, another another um, Holloway um, individual. Uh, he was at the Shetland Pony Resort. Uh, playing the was, first game? I believe, yes. Excellent. Um, I've, I've just made a few notes here. I've said that th- this season he really played a very calm, very cool mm. individual. A real contrast to the role he played in season one, where, like I say, he fell through a trapdoor and summoned mm. shadow pets and all sorts, <laughs> of, all sorts of silly things. Yeah, Alex gets... Uh, I, I love how excited Alex gets when he's able to do something cool. Yes. Like, he, he brings a lot of... Um, enthusiasm, like when he realizes in Ariadne, I can do, I can do some magic here. I can, I can seize a fragment of this thing's power and use it for myself. His eyes just light up, don't they? Yeah, yeah. No, go, go, great, great setting for him. And um, like I say, another very theatrical individual. I've made another note here just about uh, Alex. I said that he's one of the most generous laughers in the role players. <laughs> Which is wonderful when you um, when you do something and you're looking for approval around the table, as so many are desperately trying to do. Uh, he's a good uh, he's a good reactor, a good responder. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Marvelous. Uh, and uh, first time player, the introduction uh, of Helen, season three. Helen stepped in at the last minute, I believe, in this season. Uh, I think you might be right. I think I Vicky was. Really a, remember. I think Vicky was originally supposed to be in this season, That's and she right. couldn't make it for some reason. Yes, which was a shame because Vicky is super keen on the Western genre, and we've talked before about how hot on her tropes she is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, a shame for Vicky that she didn't get to uh, engage in that. Mm-hmm. But brilliant to have Helen in there. A remarkable debut is what I've written yeah. down. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I've, I've just written down, nailed it. She seemed to really enjoy herself. Uh, Helen's told me before that like her approach to video games is to like play the character or build 
that is most able to just tank damage and and deal damage mm-hmm. like you know play she will play the hulk if the hulk is available to play mm-hmm. um and that she applied that same philosophy to role playing games oh yeah and in this season like completely fearless in everything that she yeah. did like i just i just assumed that you gave her a character sheet that had like more boxes than everybody <laughs> else and she could just walk through fire if she wanted to um and another alumni of uh, royal holloway as we all are don't worry we will find some people that uh, aren't from that university at some point I've written a note here. I can't remember why. Under Helen, kneecapped a bitch. Yeah, she did do that. That's oh, she shot somebody. She she, she uh, kneecapped catastrophe Michaels. Uh, after I believe after, if this justifies it at all, after everybody had discovered that catastrophe Michaels was a serial killer. Yes. Uh, in order to stop her from climbing out of a hole. I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna shoot at her. <laughs> I'm gonna try and kneecap her. <laughs> roll wild. Roll wild. Oh, yeah. Uh, nine rolls. Ten. <laughs> Tell us how it plays out. You, you succeed and she doesn't get a shot back off on you. Right, okay. So I'm going to kneecap her, walk towards her, grab the gun and be like, are we friends or are we not friends? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, I've, I've, I've just written down here for Helen, like she was um, complicit in some of the more violent acts, but <laughs> only ever as a wingwoman or a support act. She, she seemed to goad quite a lot. Was it her and Strat that went to go and visit Vance Rafferty, the guy mm-hmm. on the boat? Yep. And I believe that, that um, yeah, Helen just seemed to be sort of poking Strat in the side and getting him riled up. I am now trying could to be remember wrong. who was the key instigator in blowing up the boat whether that was Ellie or Helen I think it was Ellie but I feel that Helen was helping as well (laughs) at some point I've actually got a question from Helen which ties everything in quite nicely Um, she's asked again hello Matt Uh, tell us about what it's like GMing different people what are the challenges of GMing the more experienced role players in the early merely role players days versus the relative novices so I think in terms of sort of singling out individuals and talking about what people are like to GM, like we're we're kind of covering that at the yeah. start of, starts of these episodes. Um, in terms of the like novices versus experienced people, I think the fact that we were playing versions of ourselves and the fact that we were playing a powered by the apocalypse system was a bit of a leveler in that sense, because nobody was totally au fait with the system. Um, and the people who had played role-playing games before hadn't played versions of themselves before, so that was a kind of new experience for everybody as well. So I I don't feel like there was like a skill gap, <laughs> if you want to call it that. The only difference that you can see, I think, or that, or that I felt was in people's kind of sense of what they were allowed or permitted to do or paths that they could take or actions that they could take it's the the only difference i think if you can see one or if i noticed one was people who played role-playing games before kind of had an idea in their head of like a a set of actions that they were confident that they could probably pull off like investigate an area or kneecap a bitch or (laughs) you know uh see if somebody's lying go to a place that kind of stuff but yeah, I don't think there's as, I don't think that there's actually that much of a gap. And you definitely made Helen feel welcome in in the game, from what I can sense. I, I 
I tried. I did my best. Mm-hmm. And they all, again, all worked together very, very nicely, despite the bloodbath that would follow <laughs> later on in the uh, in the game. Well, and despite, like what, like you said, um, Alex's slightly more lawful approach compared to everybody else's willingness to, to compromise their morals a little. Yeah, good way of putting it. Good way of putting it. Um, it's always the problem that you have, certainly when you're playing Dungeons & Dragons, it's that... It's that little box that says alignment on it that causes so much conflict within a new group of, well, I want to do this. Oh, this is what my character would do. Da, 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 da. It's about conflicting um, ideas, isn't it, coming together. And you always have you always have a responsibility as a player to play nicely as a group because it's not necessarily just about you. It's about the narrative that you're all trying to drive together. It's not about oh, I'm chaotic, neutral, I want to go and rob this and everyone sit down and listen to me do my own thing for two hours. Because that's not fun. That's not what the game's about. Well, and um, Dungeons & Dragons specifically, I think you you have to end up coming to a consensus because the, um, like the, the maths that the game is built on requires the player's party to work together as a unit against whatever enemies are there, because otherwise there won't be kind of balance and and people will get killed when they shouldn't do. Whereas more narrative-focused games like this can much more easily support people going off and doing their own thing. Mm -hmm. You know, Alex went off and did a negotiation while other people were going off shooting folks and and blowing up boats, Mm -hmm. and that was fine. Like, nobody suffered in a fight because they didn't have their allies with them. Mm-hmm. And that is good for the drama and for the audience because you want to see like different approaches to things and people who are not necessarily completely on the same page because mm. that creates conflict and drama. Do you know what it reminded me of, actually, just thinking about it now? Uh, a, a role-playing system called Blades in the Dark, which um, a few people in the Merely Role Players world have, have played before. That is all about an, an end game, a, a score. So maybe an assassination, a robbery, a sabotage of some description. But the game um, encourages players to go off and do their own research and track down targets and you know complete um, other objectives first and then bring the information together as a team. And then you go off and do the score in this game and you can you can all be in different places. You can do it together. You can be in different places, but it's all ultimately for the same ends. Yeah, and that's a great. That, I mean, that system's wonderful anyway. But it's a great way of running a game because it doesn't constrict. It never says no, Matt's character. You can't go off and climb across the rooftops. We need you here. Don't split the party, etc. It encourages you to go off and, and do your own thing before coming together for the common good. Yeah. Let's move into changes made. Um, Quite a different season mechanically from the first two seasons. Instead of um, trust as an aiding mechanic, you have something called hold. Yeah, uh, which works exactly the same. It's just a different word for it. Um, I was struggling uh, at the start to find a good term for the relationship stat. Um, Simple world, uh, just called it hex, uh, which is the term that's used in Apocalypse World. Um, which I think comes from it comes from some field of science or other. It's it's not completely made up for it, but it just represents the relationship that you have with somebody. Trust never quite worked because mechanically how it works is if I have plus one trust with you, then I am better at helping you do things. Mm-hmm. And trust just wasn't quite the right descriptor for mechanically how it ended up working and it ended mm-hmm. up being a confusion hold was very genre appropriate here because it's more about 
the well, it, first of all, it's it, it's a poker term, mm-hmm. which is what you want in a Western. Naturally. Um, and second of all, it is representative of the hold that you have over somebody um, and the influence that you have over them. Um, and we generated it this time through sort of questions about secrets that you know about people. So the more compromising information you know about your colleagues, the more hold you have over them. And mm. that that made a, seemed to make a lot more sense than calling it trust. Which serves the genre quite well, as you say. The idea of a posse in a Wild Western is all about, you know, compromising information and sometimes betrayal and everybody's off doing their own thing, but they form a posse for, like I say, for the greater good. So that idea of that concept of, well, Matt's character and Josh's character are only friends within the scenario because Matt has got something on Josh or there's a trust <laughs> based on an event that happened in the past. Another change was you got we got to explore backgrounds a little more, yeah. Because this is the first time that um, a, a setting has been taken outside of modern day. Mm-hmm. Season three, you, you, no, no more faffing around that you're Wild West people in the 21st century. No, we're going straight back to the 1800s, mm-hmm. um, and we are now fully in the Wild West. So I think it would have been challenging had you just said, right, you're, you're Ellie in the Wild West, you're Helen in the Wild West, off you go. Because yeah. you would have been like, well, I'm not in the Wild West, Matt. What am I supposed to do? So yeah. like, you, how much of my real life do I transplant into the setting? Absolutely. How would Josh in the Wild West do? Probably badly. I've never fired a gun and I'm quite anti-violence generally, so I'd probably do very poorly. But what you do is that you're a, you, you give them an opportunity to make up a backstory. And that's yeah. fab. Yeah, and that... Uh, those two things, the the backstory questions and the hold mechanics feed together as well. So it's nice to say it, it gives you that fictional background, but gives you a kind of mechanical thing to hang on it as well. Mm. It gives the players um, a bit of intent as well. It gives them an opportunity to say, oh, why would I go in? Why would I go to this spot? Oh, because in the backstory, yeah. Ellie and I robbed a bank and now we're on the run. So we need to be undercover and stuff. In terms of planning, this was one of the most adventurous seasons up to this point in terms of scale. Yeah, I mean, it's still quite a contained setting because it's just this kind of one town with just a few buildings, but it's Mm. definitely like the previous seasons was one building, one building complex, and Mm -hmm. this is now... Several buildings (laughs) within a town. Yeah, so, you know, it's still the typical, like, one high street Mm. and a, a few buildings either side, but... Just thinking about it now... Starting with Ariadne and ending with Parallax, you've been slowly getting bigger and bigger and bigger in terms of the scale that you allow it to go. So it's gone from a theatre to a theatre complex to a town to a country to a continent to space! (laughs) The whole galaxy. The whole galaxy. Um, The word I've written down here is a computer game term you're all familiar with is sandbox. Is that you say you ride in on on a horse down a dusty road. What do you want to do? There's a bank, there's the gallows, there's the sheriff's office. What do you do? Yeah, and again, there was kind of a mystery to find out, but it wasn't so much... We're, we're in Five Stage Rescue, kind of. The, the events are still happening. And it's like, can you find out the thing that is happening in time to stop it? Mm. Whereas in this one, kind of all the salient stuff, for the mystery element at least, has already happened when they arrive. So all I need to know is these were the events and then, you know, depending on what people stumble upon, we can we can feed that stuff out. And then obviously the key event of this one is the the posse from Purity rolling up halfway through, mm-hmm. which I 
you know, so it was nice that I could just plot out this is what happened before they arrived. And so therefore, this is where the body is. This, this, this is where the evidence is. This is who did, who done it. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, the posse from Purity are going to roll mm-hmm. in and this is what they're going to announce. And yeah. then we just throw the cat among the pigeons. The key cutscene happens. happens, right? The timer yeah. hits a certain point <laughs> and you need to say that the posse roll in yeah. um, on the steamboat. Good morning, Amnesty. Some of you know me. For those that don't, my name is Vance Rafferty, native of uh, Purity, downriver from here. Me and my friends got wind here upriver from us was a town made up fully and completely of only the most dastardly outlaws in the West. No such amnesty can be given to those who break the law, of course. So we have been given dispensation by the the law of purity to round up this whole town. We will come for you all at sundown. Until then, another amnesty is in place. Board this ship of your own free will, and you, you will be guaranteed safe passage back to a cell in purity. If you are still Roman amnesty at sundown, I cannot guarantee your safety. Balls up our plans for a show tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in terms of planning, yeah, I I, uh, did a lot more for this one. Yeah, how did you you find balancing out um, allowing the dice to fall, as it were, Mm -hmm. naturally, versus planning out a storyline? Was it tougher for this one? Surely you lose a bit of control opening uh, players up to a sandbox yeah. um, rather than confining them within one particular space. How do you, how do you balance out over-planning versus mm-hmm. letting the dice roll and potentially leading to yeah. chaos in your story? I, I think it's it's about what you plan. So I didn't plan a storyline for this mm. one. Interesting. I so you, you you had points, right? I, they I, arrive, then the posse arrive. After that, yeah. it's just nothing. Yeah, after oh that, it's, what, it's driven, by the, driven by player action. Braver than I am. I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they, 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 they have a goal when they arrive. They've been given a bounty to try to um, ca- collect. Um, and obviously that there are complications to, to that. Naturally. But then, yeah, it's kind of a two-act thing of you get a bit of time to explore the town and meet some people and get the lay of the land and work out what's going on. And then you have this event that caps off Act 1 and starts Act 2, which is the boat arriving and the the posse arriving and making their ultimatum. Um, and then it's just what you do from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the stuff that I planned was where is everything? Like what is there in this town? Mm-hmm. At, and what what can you find at any of these locations? And who is everyone? I knew mm-hmm. that I needed the town. Ta- I wanted the town to feel populated, so mm-hmm. I needed a lot of named uh, supporting characters, and then a whole posse to rock up for mm-hmm. them to, um, you know, chafe against. Yeah, as well, well, j- just looking through your notebook again, that's in yeah. front of you here. You've obviously got a map that's got uh, the key locations, yeah. and I think there's very, only a few. Very that... basic map, just written in words. Mm-hmm. So we've got the high street down the middle of the page, and then we've got the corral, the church, and Followill's manse on Ooh, one side, fun, and the stockade, the saloon, general store on the other side, and the tin mine at one end and the dock at the other end. Well, because it's so sandboxy in this regard and you've opened it up for them to do whatever they want to, it'd be very interesting to allow a different group yeah. of players to play the same scenario and see what the 
what the outcome would be. Um, yeah. You've also got notes on characters as well, I believe. Yes, many, many characters. So I've got notes on um, backstory or like sort of who who they are and notes on the vocal register for mm-hmm. each of them because I needed them all to be, and there were a lot of them and I needed them all to be distinct. Mm-hmm. And uh, specifically for the posse as well, what they're armed with because we actually did weapons with stats in this one yes um which was a, a another departure weapons with not only stats but also price points because i made them buy their equipment at the start of the game just such a huge markup in the <laughs> amount of planning you've got to do you basically designed a, a video game here yeah so i mean the only difference between any of the weapons were like uh, how many shots it holds before you need to reload it and which stat you roll to use it so like something um Something long-range like a rifle that you need to be considered about it is a different role to something that you fire from the hip, for yep, example, because sure. the stats are all about kind of disposition. And you wouldn't be able to do um, do a podcast in the Western genre without using guns, no. right? It would be impossible. And you don't want to say that you're rolling the same for a hip-drawn gun versus, like you say, a sniper rifle yeah. or a Gatling gun or something. It's all completely different. So it's sort of unavoidable in that sense. Yeah. Um, were you ever worried about the sort of missing something off mechanically and someone finding a loophole? I'm thinking of Strat here. He's very good at finding <laughs> loopholes in games. Um, I oh, I could roll this and I get instant death or instant kill. I think it was so simple that mm. it's hard to it's hard for there to be like the more complexity you have, the more opportunity there is for loopholes to open up. But mm-hmm. I think with something like this, it's there wasn't. I wasn't really worried about that. No, absolutely, absolutely not. That's fair. No. Um, Imagine what could have happened if they'd uh, bought the. Uh, carriage-mounted Gatling gun, though. Oh, my goodness. It was a big expense. $70 out of the 100 that they had. Blimey. But imagine what that what could have happened with that. It would have been just as much of a bloodbath as what actually happened, I'm sure, by the end, <laughs> but it would have been over much quicker. Kind of like, yeah, kind of like the idea of you being a medium in Ariadne. <laughs> that would have ended the season very quickly. That would as well. Um, do you, when you were playing, did you have any genuine concerns about being backed into a corner by the players? They can... They can do literally anything in this town. Are you worried that at some point they're going to say, I want to do this, and you go, ah, oh, that's the end, or, oh, the mystery is solved? I'm struggling to think of anything that could have done that. Like, mm. I'm trying to think of, like, super enormous, big, potentially out-of-character swings they could have taken. So I've got one thing written oh, down yeah. here, which is mentioned in the post, mm-hmm. post-credits, post-game um, discussion. You might not remember it, uh-huh. but... What if the players had agreed to go with Vance Rafferty back to purity? Oh, yeah. You you said on mic, mm. I've got nothing planned for purity. <laughs> there's no plan, there's no yeah. map, there's no characters. Yeah. What 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 would you have done? Would you have found a way to stop that? I imagine we would have we might have ended up with some sort of climax on the boat. Mm. Like we probably wouldn't have ever got to purity and we'd have had to I'd have had to force their hand probably by like if their action was we are going to do this peacefully and we're going to do what you ask and go with you, then you have to really ramp up the posse being evil and have them maybe burn the town on their way out mm-hmm. or you know, get underway in the middle of the river and go, well, now we're in the perfect situation where we can just put a bullet in all of you and throw you over the side. Yeah. And that would have to force them to action then. True. But I guess deep down you knew that they would never do as they were told. This is the <laughs> Wild West genre after all, right? Strength rules... You know, uh, they wouldn't have just gone ahead and said, fine, we'll give up. We'll and go back and with we you. sort of set up from the start that um, the player characters had a reason to believe themselves in the right. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, they they and this is something that maybe if well, this is probably a reason that I wouldn't probably do Western again, is because um like part of that setup was that we I, I made the main characters cops, mm-hmm. essentially, like they are the law. Mm-hmm. And that is a key theme of Western of a lot of Westerns is like what is law, what is authority on This the is a lawless society, right? Like you you've been given a deputy badge by somebody in some far off town, but what mm-hmm. does that mean here yeah. really? Yeah. But I don't know. It might. I think I prefer the kind of magnificent seven setup where it's just like random people coming together mm-hmm. who have skills rather than being given the authority by somebody else. And ultimately, but that would have been harder to like. It would have been a more complex setup because yeah. everybody would have been coming from different directions. That's true. That's very true. Um, ultimately, I guess as well as we've established in uh, our discussion about season two, the players don't trust any of the NPCs because <laughs> you've burnt them too many times up to this point. So there's no way that they're going to fall in line and just be friendly. <laughs> I think even even um, even Alex, who was trying to be quite quite um, quite demure and quite um, you know authoritative and respectful, was still treated you know quite badly by the NPCs, <laughs> and I can just see him getting more and more wound up with it. I mean, what do you do when somebody's taking the respectful approach? You have to push against that by giving what? them somebody very disrespectful to act against. This is the Wild West, baby. It's what it's what happens. So even if... I'm just working on your logic here. So even if you've just arrived today in this town, it makes you an outlaw purely through proximity. We don't know who just arrived when. Ain't no census in an outlaw town like Amnesty. Hmm. <laughs> she got you there. Yeah, that that does make a, a degree of uh, a degree of sense. Um, not to me, but I can I can see where your rationale lies. Um, I won't be coming on the boat, and there's very little that you can do to actually make me. If you're not getting on the boat, we'll see you later. Absolutely, I look forward to it. Going back to the setting um, and the general feel, you've got that mystery strain um, mm. running alongside the main storyline. Uh, Amnesty was a bit of a mystery. Um, Rescue was definitely a mystery. Um, I've just written down here that there's a a few lovely scenes where Ellie and Helen go off and do their their shtick and they go to the mine and they chat to people there. Mm. And then there's a scene where they're both, Ellie in particular, basically playing CSI Amnesty. She got to do her blood spatter analysis. She got to do her (laughs) blood spatter analysis. She got to do some investigation. She got to go into, you know, detective forensic mode. I mean, we can see from the pool of blood, obviously that's where he laid and bled out. Um, the the horizontal splatter line would indicate that there was um, a, a sort of quick motion and then throw off of blood, probably from the weapon. Um, I would say it looks like a blade was used because a gunshot would create a very different splatter pattern. It's like CSI amnesty. This is great. <laughs> CSI amnesty. <laughs> Uh, so, so I'm thinking probably, uh, judging by the amount of blood, it was arterial, and it's a roughly head height. So I'm going to say that the throat was slashed. Was was that a? Did you mean to implement such a, you know, um, that 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 mystery genre running through the storyline? Was that intentional? I don't know if I'd thought of it as a, as a uh, an intentional theme, but I think it. I'm always responding to what the players want and mm-hmm. sort of listening in a, this is part of the reason that we do um wrap up conversations after each yes. season is so that i can listen to the players and what they enjoyed and what they didn't enjoy and what they want to see more or less of mm. 
So I don't remember in enough detail whether that was something that specifically people said mm. they wanted to see. Well, I but, think to, trying to trying to remember and hopefully refreshing your memory, I think when they arrived mm. in Amnesty, someone had been shot. There was well, a there the, was a the body. Per, the person that they're the, so this is the. I think it, part of the sort of mystery thing is like it's it's kind of a. The Western genre is a all the aspect of the Western genre we were looking at was about law and lawlessness and that kind of thing, and so you're going to get some sort of you have to have some crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so, like, not every Western has to have a murder mystery, but no. we ended up with one. So it's the True. guy, the guy that they are there to arrest is killed. They find him, but he's already dead. That's right. That's right. Um, but I, I, I genuinely think that that was um, brought on by the players. I think yeah. rather than saying, "Oh, he's dead," right? Let's go off and do something else. Yeah. They're like, "But who killed him? How did yes. this happen? Let me examine the body and the blood splatter in the mines." I think that they drove that, and maybe that's just the desire of this group of players, right? Is that they love a mystery, yeah. or maybe it's because they just come off the back of a mystery story, <laughs> and they're like, "Everything has to be a mystery. What do we do? I want to find." Things and it's out. also like we have been given the rap sheet of this bad, bad dude who's wanted for many, many things, mm. who has been set up as like a, a tough customer and he, they found him murdered in a mine um taken by surprise from behind it's like that sets up the question then of like okay we were here to take down a bad dude somebody badder than that dude t- mm. took him down before us so we now need to take down the badder dude yeah the bigger badder, badder dude that's what we're here for absolutely and of course you know shortly after they find the body is when we turn up the heat under the cooker with the posse arriving mm-hmm. and forcing them to make some choices. Yeah. Let's dive into the almanac of the characters <laughs> that you have created here. This is um, very, very adventurous, very brave. But from what I can see, you've got quite a lot of characters in there. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't seem like you were making many of them up on the spot. None, okay. I think. None, none of them had particularly... Um, dull names that you'd obviously come up with on the spot. <laughs> there were no there were no Brian's, there were no Bobs. No. Nope. So that's good. Um I also made a note, it's really nice you just in in terms of describing them, you didn't wax lyrical about what they looked like, how they sounded, what they smelled like, blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. You gave like a sentence of like mm-hmm. tall, wearing a dark cloak, seems mysterious, scar on left cheek. And that's enough for the characters to be for the players, sorry, to be like, yeah. ooh, I want to know more. I feel like that works in the audio medium as well, that in any whether it's improvised or actual play or uh, audio drama, the audience's imagination is doing a lot of the visual heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't want to give them so much detail that they're struggling to like fit in everything that you're giving them. Mm-hmm. Give them a few sketchy bits and they'll fill the rest in themselves. Absolutely. It's that old adage about not over over-describing for mm-hmm. your players, right? You say, you go into a room, there's a dog. You've got five players around the room, around the table, and not one of them is picturing the same dog. One no. of them will picture them big. One of them picture them sleeping. One of them will picture them small and yappy. And that's what you need to. That's what you need to give because everybody will have a different idea of what those characters look like. You're just there to sort of just sketch an outline on your easel and allow everybody else to fill it in. Yeah. Oh, that was good. That was a good analogy, yeah. wasn't it? I might have to uh, might have to pattern that one. Write that one down. Um, any characters in particular that you loved playing as? Uh, Vance Rafferty was very fun. Oh, the Foghorn Leghorn, <laughs> Southern drawl gentleman character. I just love. I'm the, so the, on board with that. The, the vocal note I have next to his name is Smooth Fucker Cadence. Smooth Fucker Cadence. <laughs> uh, and that he's, a, he's the literal white hat. 
So he, mm. he literally wears a white hat. I he's am the, the last, sir, yeah. sir, and you are in my territory. Yep, he was fun. The the Green Glass twins are creepy, and that's always fun to play, just for the characters, just for the players' reactions. Yep, uh, Alex full, in particular had a bit of a revulsion to them. <laughs> it's it's something about you and uh, pairs of characters. We've had Kathleen Enid, <laughs> and now we've got this pair. So as I was listening through the season, I've been writing down the characters. Um, I've got Catastrophe, Dogtooth Abe Skellen, Wood McHenry, The Mayor, Marcy May the Barmaid, Janice, Miss Dorcas Lindsay, Sister Beth, Stinky Pete, Vance Rafferty, <laughs> Terrifying Poncho Sisters, and then I think I run out of patience. <laughs> yeah, some of them I don't think get named in the... Uh, I, I, I don't think they get named until the post-show episode mm-hmm. um, because they're... Like Ivy Marks, for example, is the strong silent type and doesn't actually speak, mm-hmm. and so never gets named on air. But and yeah, Doc Rotten, Doc Rotten, Stinky, 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 stinky Pete. <laughs> did you come up with the name Stinky Pete, or was that a nickname that, was, that the that group was, came up? The, with? the players did that. Yeah, one. wonderful. The mayor was very fun. Apparently, so I've never seen Deadwood. Okay, um, but Vicky tells me that the it's mayor wonderful. of Amnesty is a like vocally a dead ringer for a similar character in Deadwood. So that, Ooh, must, just, that must just be a Western. I wonder trope. if it was Ian McShane's character. <laughs> I don't oh, know, because he was very he's very gaunt and reedy, the the mayor of Amnesty. He's very oh. he's very up here. Ooh. He breaks. He's like like he's going through a second puberty. Yeah, there is there is a character. I think he might be a doctor in Deadwood and he's just really, really slimy and nasty. <laughs> and he's got that exact same voice, the slight whistle when he says his says. Well, that sounded more like uh, Herbert from um, Family Guy, but you get, you get the impression. <laughs> Any characters that we didn't get to meet? Uh, no, I think we met everybody. Uh, let me just double check. Um, Errol was a bit more of a cameo in this one. We established that um, Errol was in a, a relationship. Oh, yes. We're in this season. Uh, what's, his, what's his chops, John? So it just goes to show, folks, that if, John there's, Templeton. if there's hope for Errol, there's hope for everyone. Yep. Yeah, poor Errol. I think this is the only, only one where he gets uh, uh, any kind of... Surely, <laughs> where he seems truly happy. <laughs> Let's move on to a question now from uh, from a cast member. This from Alex Lawman himself. Hello, Alexander Pankhurst here. Um, my question to Matt is: Were there any Western tropes that the players didn't get around to doing in uh, in a town called Amnesty? Um, did you see the story going in a different direction at any time? Um, and in a season full of shocking and often violent moments, Helen and Ellie, I'm looking at you, um, what surprised you the most? So a triple question there yeah. from Alex. Let, let's start with the, the middle, the meat in the sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, because we can tackle that one quickly, because I've already kind of said I didn't plan a story. Mm-hmm. So I w- was open for the story going wherever the players took it. So that's the answer to that bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Western tropes. Um, I was trying to think, like, think through the catalogue. The thing that we, and this isn't like an omission by the players because we couldn't have done this one just because of the the way it's set up is um, a lot of Westerns are very like about individuals, like the individual man in black rolls into town and it's about how that one person affects the town, you know, whatever baggage he brings with him, whatever he does, however he interacts with the town's problems and that kind of thing. So we didn't have that like lone gunslinger thing because we had a cast of four and they were operating as a group. 
So, yeah, that is a kind of really key Western trope mm. that we didn't touch on, but I don't think we could have done and I'm not bothered by it. No, sure. There was some horseback fighting. There yeah. was a big shootout. There yeah. was the sniper in the bell yeah. tower. We, did, we didn't rob a train. No. That's kind of, like the railways is a, is a kind of key Western thing yeah. as well. So we didn't do a train heist. Mm, you had a you had a paddle steamer instead of a yeah. big locomotive. So that was pretty cool. I guess there was no barroom brawl, was there? That's true. There was a barroom. There, there was, I mean, there was potential for one to break out, yeah. but I think Alex didn't escalate it. No, that's true. Had it been anybody else, had it been Ellie Strat or Helen there, then yes, definitely it yeah. would have broken out. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, but it did mean that I think, I don't know if we kind of, really leaned on the button but he did he walked into that saloon and there were people there and they turned to look at him and that is <laughs> that is a key West piano player stops playing yeah. <laughs> the barman spills his drink while he's staring at exactly him. yeah uh, and alex's final question uh, in a season of shocking sometimes violent moments of chaos what surprised you the most this is a difficult one because a lot like i said i was trying not to expect things I think maybe the like the, the ruthless efficiency of how they dealt with Catastrophe Michaels once her schemes were revealed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, once we've realised you're a bad guy, we're going to shoot you in the knee and throw Knee-cap. you in a hole. Straight and in the hole. So that we don't have to deal with you right now. Mm-hmm. Probably blowing up the boat to uh, leave no witnesses mm-hmm. was, a, was another one that I didn't uh, didn't see coming. Yeah, because there's a moment in the season where they've said, oh, well, we've killed Vance Rafferty, we've killed the deputy, we've got away, no one yeah. saw us, that should be fine. And there's a moment of realisation on the shore of, oh, there were loads of people left on that boat that would have seen us and who won't leave us alone. They're going to come back for us and come back for the town. So, uh, boom, bang, a bang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think there was a, just a, like a creative problem solution that Strat came up with where they had a uh, dealing with the green glass sister sniper up the unfinished bell tower Mm -hmm. that you know there's lots of different ways you could try to address a sniper in a bell tower um i would not have if i was a player in that situation i would not have thought of go into the building light a stick of dynamite and throw it straight upwards (laughs) it's good lateral thinking (laughs) gotta say that about strat he's a creative guy (laughs) and and a great um, approach for somebody in a game like this to take because it has so because the possible consequences are so varied. It's the high risk, high reward, isn't yeah. it? As we've seen on these dice, sometimes just rolling two dice just works out so wonderfully. And you hear in the season a series of oh, 10, oh, I rolled a 12, I got an 11, brilliant. But when the dice are against you and you've got a series of snake eyes after snake eyes of failure after failure, then you start to think, oh, I shouldn't do big things anymore because it only leads to me being hurt. Let's mention something which is unavoidable within the Western trope. Violence, gunfights and whatever else. One of the highest body counts, uh, possibly only surpassed by Amnesty, uh, not Amnesty, what's the other one? Codename Mosaic, yeah. potentially. Um, but this, there was definitely a real right-hand swerve here into, <laughs> into, into violent town. It, it all hinges on that pistol whip of Vance Rafferty, doesn't it? The, it had such yeah. long-lasting consequences. It was very much the, the assassination of Duke Ar- <laughs> yeah, Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Like, that was the moment. Sorry. We can resolve this. We can, we, can be, we can negotiate. We can resolve this diplomatically. Everybody can go home happy. Oh, we've accidentally killed Vance Rafferty. Okay, we'll kill everybody. Everybody has to die. <laughs> and to be fair to Strat, I'm going to come to his defence here. He didn't mean to cave the guy's skulls in, no. skull in. He just rolled either really well or really badly. I can't remember <laughs> I think which it one. was badly. Yeah. 
again, consequences. Uh, or it might, it might even have been a classic mixed success. It's like, yes, you do knock him out, mm-hmm. but also knock him off the, this mortal coil. <laughs> yes. All through this, he's ranting. Like, you won't get away with this. I okay, I'm just going to pistol whip him and try and knock him out. Roll <laughs> wild. Stop getting really vicious. <laughs> so that's four. That's a fail. Mark You're a sharp shooter, but you can't hit a man in the head yeah. <laughs> with your yeah. own fist. So you get plus one to one of your. I think I best go wild. <laughs> it's going to go stoic. You were trying to just pistol whip him into unconsciousness. Yeah, I was, yeah. Uh, you crack him so hard that oh, you no. feel his temple cave in. <laughs> Mistake. <laughs> you slam him. You feel you feel his skull give way from the butt of your gun, and also the like the blow slams the other side of his head into the cabin. Oh jeez! And uh, he slides down and doesn't seem to move anything. Brains everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I turn to the mayor and go, I I did not mean to do that. I'm so sorry. I I was hoping we could use him. Um, but yeah, once once it once it um, started, it all just uh, all just kicked off from there. Um, I remember I was speaking to Ellie about this, and she even mentioned that for some reason she was quite cross that day. Something not to do with merely merely role players, and she wonders whether or not that came into the fore when she um, when they all decided to um, to to shoot and lasso and uh, burn and whatever else happened. But I guess it's to be expected, isn't it, from this scenario? You can't give a, uh, four players a load of guns and tell them it's a Western without <laughs> expecting there to be some form of shootout. Yeah, I guess. It, it, I think the only safety tools we were using at the table at that point was, was the X card. Yes. So if, if somebody was, like, if something really upset somebody or, mm. or things were going in a direction somebody wasn't comfortable with, they could X card mm. and we would stop yeah. and rewind and see why, where we wanted to go that was different. I use lines and veils a lot more nowadays. So explicitly before the session, polling the group about content that you definitely don't want to see or that you definitely do want to see. Mm -hmm. And Um, that's very, very important. I would would argue it's very important you establish boundaries early on in a campaign Um, at session zero. Yeah, and I think in those early seasons, the genre was kind of standing in for that. So we weren't doing explicit session zeros and lines and veils. We were just saying... We have all come. We all agree that we've come to the table to do a western, and mm-hmm. we all like we all understand what the tropes of a western are. Yeah. There's probably going to be some gunplay in this one. I'm making mm-hmm. you buy guns in the at the beginning before we kick off the story. Yeah, and I think in a way it's slightly exaggerated, it's slightly cartoony. The yeah. violence. All of our opinions about violence and you know actions in westerns come from Hollywood films. And the Hollywood films aren't particularly gory. There's lots of people, you know, with a dusty squib firing off in their <laughs> chest and falling off a horse and Wilhelm Helm screaming. It's never gratuitous and it's never unnecessary. It's part of telling a story about a violent, lawless time, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and then there's uh, lassoing somebody by the neck and dragging them along a train track until they're just a pulp. Absolutely. That, that also happened. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like... Um, one of those things that no no single person made the decision for that to happen. Mm. It's like Ellie made the decision to lasso this person by the neck. Yeah. Or, or like made the decision to lasso this person. Mm-hmm. Rolled well. Yeah. So the dice played a part. If I, I hope I'm remembering the sequence of events here right. Rolled well. Decided that one of the consequences of, of rolling particularly well was I get her by the neck mm-hmm. and drag her off her horse. Mm-hmm. 
and like ride along. And then it was me realizing, oh, you're riding through the middle of the street. And mm-hmm. That's where the train tracks are. So she's going along that. And so it's sort of, you know, maintaining eye contact and sort of describing that while having a kind of a look to the person being like, are you okay with that mm-hmm. <laughs> at the same time? The hooves are all in rhythm and uh, you stoically uh, fix your eyes on her and start doing the lasso. And what happens? What Sorry, it's just so bright eyes. <laughs> so I unhook my lasso from my belt and I whip it around my head and I aim it at her neck because ain't taking no prisoners. Uh, I get it around her neck and yeah. yank and she is off the horse and she is dragging behind me as I continue down. <laughs> oh! Power move. <laughs> You're are you riding like directly down the uh, down the minecart tracks? I'm on the tracks because I she, feel like that would do her more damage. She's going brum 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 along oh. the sleepers. Uh, so uh, she yeah she's not going to be in good shape <clears> by the time you reach the end of the of the road. Uh, from the roof of the saloon, you see Ellie gallop past <laughs> down Main Street, dragging the uh, the dragging the horse, the bitch behind me, <laughs> dragging the horsewoman behind her along the, the along the sleepers, uh, leaving an increasingly bloody trail. <laughs> I don't feel bad about smacking this guy in the head anymore. I thought that was going to be one of the worst things we were going to do. She's just going to be like a bleeding stump when I stop. <laughs> like a head on a bit of rope <laughs> not even that like, it would probably be nothing by the time I get there <laughs> just a lasso pulp but like I say it's all serving the, the genre right yeah. it's all it's all keeping within within the setting had Ellie done that during uh, five stage of rescue for example <laughs> then maybe we need to have a conversation and it doesn't make a lot of sense where did you even get that horse from Ellie it doesn't matter I'm going to take Brianna for a ride well if we're trying to liberate well, at least we freed two horses, <laughs> Yeah, this is true. We've killed a few people, but we freed two horses, yeah, so it's a win. <laughs> okay, Matt, it's time for you to delve into your own uh, role within the Wild West genre. Let's do Matt's stats. You've got a character sheet for season three in front of you. Could you read out the name of this season? Season three... A town called Matnesty. A town called Matnesty. Please don't write in. I was really struggling with this one. Okay, um, talk us through the stats for Amnesty. This is the first one where we've got four stats. It is indeed. Um, so uh, Simple World suggests um, or, or gives you kind of parameters for five and then says, you know, knock off the ones that don't seem appropriate for your genre. Mm-hmm. So the first couple we did four. Uh, oh, sorry, we did three because that was simple and I knew that would work. Um, I can't remember the exact justification for bumping it up to four this time. Maybe it was just experimenting to see whether it would work. It means that you've now got an extra stat um, of uh, positive two to your role, which is really cool. It opens up more possibility Mm. to the players. Yeah, so the stats for this one are wild, just, stoic, and sly. All things that people can be in a Western. Yeah, no, I I like those terms a lot. So wild is um, running down the street, firing your pistols off. Um, Just is... Alex Lawman trying to uh, bring law and order. Yeah, like negotiate a peace, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, Stoic is doing an impression of Clint Eastwood and gritting, <laughs> gritting your, your teeth and, and tensing up your jaw. Or as as I believe Helen does at the very end, uh, uh, riding a horse while firing a rifle at a sniper. Yeah, yeah, a wonderfully Stoic move. I'm thinking anything faster than a trot is going to um, limit my chances of 
of being able to shoot accurately, even mm-hmm. if I could see where. So I'm going to have to be walking and trailing my rifle on where I think is the right place, and hopefully smoke will fade and I'll have a better idea of what I'm shooting at. Okay, would you like to take a shot at this point while you're pretty sure she's reloading? Yeah. Um, and Sly is sneaky, sneaky, hiding yeah. in the shadows, cloak and dagger. Yeah, shoot somebody through your poncho. Yeah, all that stuff. So your four scores are two, one, zero, and a minus one. Where do you think they're going to go? This is an interesting one. I think we're going to learn a lot about what your friends think about you. <laughs> yep, yep. It had to come back round to me. Uh, <laughs> um, I think I'm going to go for stoic plus two. Mm-hmm. I think, oh, it's tough between just and sly as the as the plus one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe sly as the plus one, just as the zero. And I don't think I'm particularly wild or unpredictable, so let's have that as the minus one. Okay, cool. Well, we asked Helen Nikapovich, uh, <laughs> wild Western person. Uh, she has given you the following stats. So wild, you've got correct, is a minus one. Okay. Uh, she's given you for just a zero, also correct. Uh, she's got it the other way around, I'm afraid. Oh, okay. She's given you stoic one, okay. sly two. She thinks you are a sly old fox, man. Okay. Um, she... I guess based on my actions in this season specifically, I think can see that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So she imagines you're a shoot through the poncho, <laughs> sneaking in the dark type. Um, she said, and I quote, I'm really sorry, but Matt is definitely a minus one wild. It's just not his style. He's more Jaguar than Honey Badger, if that makes sense. <laughs> I'll take that. Do you see yourself as a Jaguar more than a Honey Badger? <laughs> sure. <Yeah. laughs> Why not? Um, he's a plus one on Stoic, a zero on Just, and a plus two on Sly. He's a tricky but slick piece of work, that boy. Uh, if he rides into your town upon his trusty steed, you'd better watch your back. He's going to do what it takes to get what he wants, and you might not even notice him doing it. Ooh, I like that. That's, re- that's really well written. That's <laughs> like a yeah, that's like a tagline for a film I really <laughs> want to see now. So moving on to uh, your role within the posse. Um, she's giving you... The, the, posse, the Blackshaw posse in this season still nominally being like a, a troop of entertainers. Of course, they are travelling troubadours, entertainers. Yeah, they have like a stagecoach stage. Stage that can be a stage. 100%, yeah. Um, although not a lot of theatre happens in this one, and maybe yeah. it reflects sort of moving away from uh, the yeah. theatrical nature of the seasons. But in any case, you do have a role within the posse. It's not a theatrical one. Well, it could be a theatrical one. She's given you the mastermind. Not necessarily the first person you think of as a leader, but he'll prove he was right all along once or twice and assert his position. Uh, Matt's got all the pieces of the puzzle balancing at all times and can reshuffle them at a moment's notice if you need. Matt can be back at base, leading the showdown or picking off the enemies from an unknown viewpoint, but he's not the one brawling in a bar. He's the one leaving the cash on the bar with a note that says, for damages, once Alex and I have made a mess. <laughs> so, sneaky, sneaky, hide in shadows, leaving money on the bar, manipulating and masterminding and pulling the strings. Are we all just puppets to you, Matt? Is that what you see? But also dealing with the aftermath. That's very true. That is very true. And we've all seen that face of you having to deal with the aftermath of our consequences during a game. Uh, happy, happy with Mastermind? Yeah. It's a fabulous role. 
Um, you'll see a bit of a theme emerging here. You do get lots of masterminds with your um, with your abilities. Finally, uh, what Wild West signature move would Matt excel at? The ability is called Ace of My Sleeve, where he's always got a little knife or a gadget or whatever little thing you need at a moment's notice. He's always super prepared and, bit of trivia here, he learned magic tricks as a child, mm. I reckon, she says. <laughs> did you Did you actually? Or she made that up? Uh, I, I learned... My granddad taught me to do a coin drop. There we go. Uh, and she finishes, so he will always have something to pick that lock or win, win that drinking contest or whatever it is that in, that's in his way. Sweet. So very similar to Lashings of Ginger yeah. Ale from season two. You've always got the right thing at the moment's notice. Interesting. You are prepared. You are a sly, stoic, tricky mastermind. <laughs> you ready to play? Sure. Well, you can't. We've recorded the season, <laughs> but thanks, thanks for doing that anyway. This has been Replay a backstage episode from Merely Roleplayers. It was created, researched and hosted by Josh Yard, and the editing, music and production were by me, Matt Boothman. If you have a question about any Merely Roleplayers production from Parallax onwards, tweet it at Merely Roleplay on Twitter, or email it to MerelyRoleplayers at gmail.com, and it could be featured in an upcoming replay episode. Merely Roleplayers is a Foggy Outline production in association with Blackshaw Theatre Company. Until next time, if drama be the food of life, play on!